Software Engineering Radio Episode 38, Interview with James Noble. Okay, hey, this is another episode of Software Engineering Radio. This time we have uh, James Noble uh, in the interview. And uh, why don't you start by explaining something about yourself and what you do in real life and uh, and so on. Hello, thank you. And it's it's great to be here on Software Engineering Radio. Um, what do I do in real life? Well, I always introduce myself as being James Noble. And sadly, that's like the virtue, but not the prize. So if you're spelling my surname, then just just remember that. Actually, that's a bit that you can cut out. You can leave the virtue, but not the yeah. prize. But and cut that speak, out. It's be a little bit louder, so that's that's great. So I, sh I should speak a little bit a little bit louder. So I think it would be good if we have all these comments about the bits that I should cut out, and and then you not cut them out and leave them in the podcast. Right. Or I still need to speak a little bit louder, do I? Yeah, that that looks good actually now. Oh, it's just like recording on Pro Tools back home, which is which is something I don't spend enough time doing playing playing guitars or recording music with the uh, aspect-oriented mu German music software Ableton Live. Which uh, reminds, of, uh, reminds us of the fact that we are still at the AOSD conference in Bonn uh, in March 2006, and uh, the problem is we don't have any aspect-oriented topics we t to talk about, so uh, we should talk about maybe this postmodern programming and architecture thing, right? Well, it's funny you, you put it that way, because of course one of the the stranger claims we made in the notes on postmodern programming, um, myself and my co-conspirator, um, Professor Robert Biddle, now at uh, Carleton University, claims is that, in fact, um, aspect orientation or cross-cutting modular, Gregor thinks we'll try and get him the Nobel Prize. <laughs> <laughs> That's probably something you should cut out. <laughs> <Hello>. um, <laughs> <laughs> Everything's going to stay in there, so be careful. <laughs> okay, um, so the, the point is that The idea there is that software needs to be made up of a whole lot of different concerns. We can't just have a single decomposition, a single, you know, the, the tyranny of the dominant decomposition, a single idea about the way we design our software. And some of the ideas that we, we're linking to, both in the philosophy and the practice of postmodernism, um, ranging from uh, the French philosopher um, Jean-François Lyotard, writing in the 1960s, just after the riots, to, you know, DJ Spooky, Uh, in New York, come down to this idea that there is not really one grand narrative, one big story about the way we can or we should think about the world. Uh, and in the same way, aspect orientation is saying, look, there's not really one big way that you should think about your programs. Uh, you can't just take a functional decomposition. You can't just take an object-oriented decomposition. Um, you can't just focus on security or on performance. What you somehow have to do is treat each of those things with the same, the same respect and then listen to how all these, these concerns, small stories, little bits in your program, listen to the things they're saying and watch out about the way when you come to make a, a decision, the way in which these little stories push and pull against each other. So this argues more or less against this, we have this consistent architecture and this one programming language that can do all. So what you're saying is basically let things grow or, 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 or what's, the, what's the message? Well, I think the message this far is that when you're making a decision, 
you need to look and consider all the possible forces that might be involved in a decision. And once again, this is this is something that comes out very strongly if you look at design patterns, which of course we're also tiring with the postmodern brush. Um, so you need to look and see what particular things are impinging upon the particular decision you have to make, and then making uh, that decision uh, in the light of all the, all the knowledge and all the concerns that you have at the particular time, bearing in mind that even in the same program, you may find you've got different concerns or different forces that you have to consider. And this is, once again, where the design patterns are a good example of this. They're not trying to say something in the design of your whole program. They are, on, on one side, saying, here's about how you design a microarchitecture, a small part of the program. And the same design pattern in the same program, but used in a different place, may actually result in quite a different design because of the particular concerns uh, that you're faced with. And then if you scale that up to the whole process of building software, whether it's the choice of the programming language, whether it's the choice of architecture, um, whether it's the choice of IDE, whether it's the issues about how your teams are organized, whatever it is, we are saying really the only viable way we have for making these decisions about how we organize things is ha have to be made locally. Because the other postmodern critique is it said, okay, well, you can insist that everybody is going to run on one programming language. Um, you can insist that everything is going to be done in, in one way or the other way, but that's not going to give you the best solution. And what you'll find is if you look, for example, at what your developers are doing, they're always trying to get out from underneath. You know, if your IDE really, really only lets you work in a particular language, you'll find developers will busily write an interpreter for something else they'd rather use in that language in your fancy IDE, and then they'll be loading up script files and they'll be doing things that, things that way. You know. If you talk about postmodern, what is modern? You know, I could give you a definition of postmodernism, but we've really only got about half an hour, so it would uh, <laughs> it would probably take too long. So one of the definitions of postmodernism, I mean, this is where it, it all kinds of gets interesting and, and self-reflexive, which is something we really like. Um, Stephen Connor, for example, says postmodernism is that condition in which, for the first time and as a result of the technologies which allow the large-scale storage, access, and reproduction of records of the past, the past appears to be included in the present. Okay. Um, 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 can you rephrase that? I could, but I'm not going to. I mean, in the, in the notes on postmodernism, we say uh, modernism or postmodern software practice simultaneously replace, replaces um, the software engineering, modern software engineering that went before, um, while simultaneously fulfilling it. Okay, so I decide I'm going to do postmodern software development. I'm an architect on some project with a... I don't know, 10 different developers working in the typical J2EE or .NET area, um, traditional tooling, modern in the sense of I'm using latest technology like SpecJ, for example, or model-driven development. Now I decide I want to be postmodern. What do I do differently? Well, I, I think the first thing I would strongly recommend you do, especially if you live in London, is you just, you just go to the pub. So, for example, you could go to the, the Old Bank of England on, uh, on a Tuesday night. I think that's that's a very good postmodern move and one which we always recommend. <laughs> postmodern software development is uh, about uh, is it is it this 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 people thing? Things should be done so people feel good, like in the XP and, and agile community. How is the relationship to agile development? Well, I'm of course going to claim agile development as being another manifestation of some parts of postmodernism. I mean, I don't like saying this is postmodernism or this isn't because that's that's just too easy. Um, 
and it also in some ways I suppose because I think it's inaccurate, but what I'm happy to say is some parts of this approach seem to be taking a postmodern thing, and I should mention that modern doesn't mean today. Um, if I want to talk about today, I, I like the idea of saying contemporary or saying, well, software development um, as it's being done in 2006 or best practice in 2006. Because, I mean, if you look at books in computer science with the name modern, there's this excellent book which I recommend everybody needs called something like Modern Compiler Construction, written in 1968. So in agile development, you know, we do find this. Once again, if you look at the way... Um, Lyotard, the French philosopher, des describes modernism as these small, literally describes, sorry, postmodernism for Lyotard, and the way decisions are made, the structure of power, um, Foucault, the structure of knowledge, is you have a number of small stories that are brought into play, and when you want to make a decision, you have to make a decision by considering each of these small stories on their merits, um, at least initially, as if none of these particular stories is more important than any other, or rather, if you're going to make these kind of decisions about importance, you're making them at the time, and you're making them as best you can with the knowledge you have available, which sounds exactly like what's at the core of XP and the XP planning game. So this is, you know, this is one of the interesting things you get into this in this business, where you one day you're reading, you know, the Kent Beck's white book, and the next minute you're reading some obtuse text on some publisher that I can't even remember the name of. Um, and the things that they're describing are really very similar. Another thing that I remember from reading your paper was that there are some programming languages that you consider more postmodern than others, if I get that right. I think I remember that you kind of advocated using Perl. Well, I'm not really sure I advocate using anything, mainly because the sponsorship deals that I have are uh, not sufficiently expensive for me to advocate things. Uh, the fact that I've said that is, of course, another postmodern intertextual reference, but we'll, we, can, we can leave it there. And my name is easy to find on the web if you're interested in, in, in those well, kind we, of... We can put stuff in the show notes so, so to make sure people actually understand that this is serious and not just a joke. <laughs> well, I, I kind of disagree with that approach um, because... You know, one of the most beautiful things I've, I've, I've seen in an art gallery recently was at the Beaubourg in Paris where there is um, next to Marshall Duchamp's fountain sculpture, if, if you know what this is. And that is one of the, I guess, what I would claim modern post, I'd probably claim, you know, heading towards postmodern Dada art um, was Marshall Duchamp's hat rack, which looks absolutely beautiful, but is basically a hat rack hanging in the, the gallery um, with, a, with a spotlight giving you a shadow, shadow on the wall. But, I mean, if you're going to talk about jokes, let's go back to Eric Raymond, who, apart from his weapons-carrying um, advocacy activities of late, um, look up in the Hacker's Dictionary at Ha Ha Only Serious. One of the effects, you know, in just the same way as if you're going to mandate everybody programming in Java and your developers are going to, you know, hopefully, you know, hopefully in insensible ways are going to find out that it might be better to stick stuff in XML or shell scripts or write in Ruby or write in Python or write in C than just use Java. There are places where one is appropriate. There are places when others are appropriate. And that's actually a really good point that people select one tool and then they do everything with it. And you can see that in, in all kinds of areas. They have, you know, they learn Java, they do everything with Java. They Now people understand XML is good for configuration, so they write huge amounts of XML files. So the idea of, of using the right tool for the right, for the, for the, for the suitable purposes is not something that many people actually do because most people can only operate one or two tools. Right, and that's, that's certainly part of it, because in, in, two, in two ways, one of which is, to come back to what you were saying earlier, about the situatedness 
or the you know the fact that software developers are people software developers have expertise they're in teams they've got team dynamics we need to know about these things and our choice of tools is neither an uninterested nor a disinterested one in the sense that you know the team using the tools this is going to dictate what they do with a large portion of their life for the duration for the duration of a project um, it's going to be determined by what tool they think is going to look best on their CV to get them the next job. Uh, it's going to be determined by the fact that they happen to know that, you know, basically the Java group or the C-sharp group or whoever has the coolest conferences where you get to drive around on motorized toilets. I mean, all of these things are important and go into decision-making. And at some level, I think you have to take all of these, thing, well, these things on board, or you do take all of these things on board, and the question is, are you going to be upfront and say that you do or not? In terms of programming languages, um, Larry Wall is completely out of the closet about this um, and claimed Perl was the first postmodern programming language and describes why. That quote I read earlier about how one of the things about postmodernism is the idea of the present includes the past in a way which was never really possible before. And, you know, you can see this in software engineering like the ACM Digital Library. Every important paper published by computer science is, you know, is now available online. In that sense, there's no difference between a paper written 50 years ago and a paper written today. The same thing is happening in music. The same thing is happening in art. The same thing is happening in TV. The same thing is happening in source code. So if you want to write a program, the sensible way to do it is to go to Google and see if you can just get the source code written before. And You, know. you might want to maybe uh, talk about this one. This episode of writing, what was it, a sorting algorithm or something? Oh, it's, I rem it's, it's, it's a really important problem in computer science. And, and we've got to understand that for, for computer science of a particular time and place, the stuff that I would generally call modern computer science, the most important problem posed by Edsger Dijkstra, no less is this question of how do you calculate prime numbers? And so if you read notes on structured programming, which I strongly suggest you read, and in fact as a sort of, as a sort of side issue, if you're going to read notes on postmodern programming, which is available by your favorite search engine, I've already plugged Google, but since they're not paying me, I should plug Microsoft Search as well or, or whatever else you want to use. Um, If you read notes on structured programming, particularly the first book, and then go back and reread the notes on postmodern programming, you'll see that there's a certain amount of relationship between the two. In particular, Dijkstra has the first example of stepwise system construction, where he stresses that the way to build a software is by taking requirements and then going top-down um, dividing the thing into individual steps with the same kind of hierarchical structure in the process that you're going to get in the structure of a Pascal program or something. So we give an example of the same obviously absolutely crucial problem for computer science. The task is to instruct a computer to print a table of the first thousand prime numbers, two being considered the first prime number, and uh, then say, you know, to write this program we first connected out of computer to the internet, downloaded some music from Napster and read our email. You have to receive email to perform a workday, reference 11, um, which you can look up and, and find out why we, we had that there. This is another one of these intertextual references. Um, we received 25 pieces of email, of which 16 were advertisements for internet pornography, administrative or invitations to invest in Nigerian currency trades. After dealing with this email, we typed calculate prime numbers into Google. This found several websites regarding prime numbers and other websites and other information as well, which we also processed as described in the paper if you read on. So the point is here that that is now the sensible way to write programs.
it's getting to the point where if someone asks you to write a program and you don't do that, that is considered bad practice. Now, that's not the way I'm allowed to, to really teach students in courses. It's probably not the way if you had a university education. They said, OK, here's an example. You've got to write the first thousand prime numbers. Anybody going to the internet and copying, cutting and copying and pasting code and using it as their own will be thrown out for plagiarism. But this is one of the differences. And once again, um, at the panel at AOSD, this is something Gregor explicitly mentioned. Um, in postmodernism, the past is this part of a present. We have all the stuff that everybody else has done, and it's available to us, and we can use it, and we should use it, and practically we must use it, because, you know, that's a competitive advantage. If we don't, somebody else doing that is going to basically be able to outcompete any of the efforts we might have. So this is where, you know, you find mashups coming in. This is where you find scrap yard system construction, which basically says you really have to go build your systems bottom up from the components that you are able to get, that you're able to beg, that you're able to buy, that you're able to borrow, um, and you probably shouldn't steal them if they're open source, I guess. So this, you see, shows one of the way in which, as well as if not replacing modernism, postmodernism can be seen as fulfilling modernism. The point is that all this work, Dijkstra, Dahl, Hoare, Brad Cox, all the founding fathers and and mothers, Adele Goldberg, Grace Hopper, all these great pioneers of our discipline. You know, one of the things, for example, I said was, wouldn't it be great if we had reusable components? Well, the answer is now, we do have reusable components. Wouldn't it be great if we had high-level programming languages? We do have high-level programming languages. Wouldn't it be great if you could build a computer system that would safely fly an aircraft from... I don't know, New Zealand to Bonn and get you there in one piece. That was set as the grand challenge at the Software Engineering Conference in, in 1968. And if you look at Brian Randall's discussion of this, if you look at Hugh Robinson's discussion of where software engineering, that conference was very important in setting, if you like, the parameters and the worldview of modern software engineering. The point is that we can. The point is I wouldn't be sitting in this hotel room today, we wouldn't be able to do this recording, if effectively all of those problems of modern software engineering were solved. And so in some sense the question, the postmodern approach answers, okay, now we are in this new world, now we do have all these software artifacts that are completely available to us. Where does that leave us? How then should we develop software when every program that needs to be written has already been written? How then should we think about software? What what are these kind of problems that we need to attack? So, um, okay. Uh, I think we're more or less running out of time since the bus for the conference banquet will be going in about 10 or 15 minutes. Uh, anything else you want to say for closing remarks on this um, uh, great paper and on this interview? I was talking earlier about how one of the things with postmodernism is that there are all these software components out there. And so nowadays, if someone gives you a program to write... The first place to start, not the last place, not after you've done your design, is to go out onto the web or into a component marketplace or some other of these things, the source code that you've already got, and find out what is available, and then beg um, or borrow or find or buy um, the software components and use those. And kids, don't steal software components. Become a famous consultant, and they give you them for free. Okay, so uh, that's it, I guess, or anything else? Well, thanks very much. It's been, it's been great to be here on Radio Free Software Engineering.
Thanks for listening to Software Engineering Radio. If you want to get more information about Software Engineering Radio or if you want to give us feedback, please go to our website at se-radio.net. You can also contact the team at team at se-radio.net, although we prefer entries in our comments system on the website so other people can see what you think. Software Engineering Radio wants to thank Henning Pauli for the intro and outro music, as well as Lipson for providing the bandwidth. This episode of SE Radio, as well as all other episodes, is licensed under Creative Commons license. See the Software Engineering Radio website for details.